Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 152 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, uh, where they have the brand new Dog Works Volume 2 available, and the uh, new podcast, Acoustic Encounters, where they discuss Shady Grove, which is a classic album and one of the first albums I own, so be sure to head over to Acoustic Disc. How is everybody doing? Oh my goodness, IBMA is next week. I cannot wait. My merch is slowly rolling in here. Hats are here. Koozies were dropped off while I was editing this podcast. I haven't gone downstairs to make sure they look right. Uh, but the box is still out there, hopefully. So I'm looking forward to that. And just, oh my gosh, the the lineup of, of all the people that are there. So many people that have been on the podcast that I haven't had a chance to meet. Really looking forward to seeing a lot of these bands live. I mean, I think last year I saw 25 different bands over the course of however many days, Tuesday through Saturday, I believe it was. So very, very excited, very excited to pick with some of my friends and hang with some of my friends. If you're planning on being there, I've got a booth at the trade show again this year. Shoot me a DM on Facebook or Instagram or shoot me an email. You can go to mandolinsandbeer.com and hit the contact form or just email me at danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com. Speaking of that, I got to have lunch with uh, Joe K. Walsh, Alan Bybee, and Don Stierenberg. And uh, if you get a chance, if you see Don at a camp or anywhere or at a gig, ask him about the salad and if he got a kickback from ordering it. Uh, it was a it was a blast, man. It was really and it was a really good salad. But uh, it, yeah, Don was the uh, person who who dove in first with the salad. I'm also really excited because at this IBMA, I'm going to be able to meet some of these sponsors in person that I haven't been able to meet yet. Uh, one being Dan from Peghead Nation. I mean, he's been and Peghead Nation has been a supporter of this podcast since I believe episode number two and I can't thank them enough and they have the best lineup of mandolin instructors out there and 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 two of those instructors are going to be there Sharon Gilchrist and John Reichman I'm stoked to meet them or stoked to meet John I've met Sharon before a few times now but again they have this lineup it's Sharon John Mike Compton Joe K Walsh Aaron Weinstein Marla Fibers Chad Manning it's it's the best it's everything from beginner to advanced and you can get the first month for free by just going to pegheadnation.com and using the promo code mandolinbeer, all one word, at checkout. So go check that out. Uh, Adrian from Northfield Mandolins, and Northfield Mandolins actually has a booth there. Looking forward, I'm going to actually interview Adrian again. It's been a minute since we've spoke. Uh, Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And actually, Joe K. Walsh and uh, John Maylander are going to be doing um, a gig there at the uh, shop in Michigan. And actually, I'm going to be doing Michigan gigs. I'm going to be in Grand Rapids, Ferndale, and Bay City November 4th, 5th, and 6th, I believe. 3rd, 4th, and 5th, right around there. I'll talk about that more later, but I'll be in Michigan. I'm a Northfield Mandolins and Elderly Instruments as well. Elderly Instruments, Stan's going to be there, Stan Werbin. I'm excited to to meet Stan in person. I've been shopping there for, I mean, as long as I can remember. And Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new and used vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced beginner player. Their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I mention mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in the 50th year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide. You can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Pava Mandolins. I don't know if uh, Ellis and Pava are going to be there, but regardless, Pava, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. Beautiful playing mandolins, beautiful sounding mandolins. 
Um, you can hear them at Nate Lee's uh, website he's doing or his Facebook. He's doing a, a string shootout right now. It's pretty interesting. And he plays a beautiful Pava mandolin. Sounds incredible. During this episode, Frank talks about his main axe that he's been using for years now. And he built that with Roger Simonoff. And you, too, can build your own mandolin with Roger's incredible book. And, and check this out. Uh, Roger's great. Now through the end of 2022, if you go to straightupstrings.com at their online store and use the code MANDOBEER, all caps, all one word, you're going to get a 10% discount on books and strings, and that includes the six packs. So straight up strings, the books to build the mandolin, you can't go wrong. We all love trying things out. We love trying strings and all that fun stuff. Go over there right now, straight up strings, and get yourself a set or a pack and see why Tristan Scroggins and C.J. Lewandowski use them. And yeah, if you're, you're feeling like you want to challenge building a mandolin, sounds like a good one. Build one as good as Frank's, you'll be good to go. And my buddy Jake Jolliffe, one of my favorite mandolin players, has got a Zoom mandolin intensive clinic coming up for November 11th through the 13th. So if you're looking for a way to jumpstart your practice regime, uh, he promises that he's going to give you a lot of ideas. It's also going to include eight hours of instructions plus a concert. Like us, he loves the mandolin, loves to practice the mandolin, loves to talk about the mandolin, and uh, he's really looking forward to doing this. This is his idea of a good weekend. Sounds like a great weekend to me. For more information, go to Jake's website or his Instagram. All right, let's get into this episode with Frank Sullivan. Frank's incredible. He's got the tone slabs. Frank's going to be at IBMA, and you'll hear the picks are also going to be at IBMA at a booth there, so you can check out these new tone slabs. Brand new album called Hold On is out and available everywhere. It's incredible. You have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Cheers. left you have to find And on my heart What could tear us apart All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Frank Sullivan. Frank, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Mr. Patrick. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, my gosh. Thanks so much for doing it, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Got a brand new album out. Hold on. It's incredible, dude. It is. I mean, (laughs) I've been a fan for for years. I mean, we met you. I met you at uh, here in Charleston. When I first started, yeah, the brewery. Yeah, yeah. First started doing like just some mandolins and beer sort of stuff. Well, before the podcast, and yeah, it was like lick of the lick of the day. Lick, lick of, of the, the day. That's right. Yeah. yeah, good memory, man. And um, yep. yeah, and you were so gracious, and and your band killed it. And I'd been a fan, you know, ahead ahead of that, but it, it made me even more of a fan after getting to meet and 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 hang out with you and and just Aww. see the just the uh, the pure joy that the mandolin brings you and playing it and. Yeah. Oh so. my God. Yeah, I love the mandolin. It's the greatest instrument in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, here's a key theme with your albums. They all have great songs. I, Aww, you man. are like, yeah, man. I mean, and I love mandolin, obviously, you know, but there's certain, there's like a lot of my friends are going like on a road trip or something like that. They're not all bluegrass fans. And if I'm driving, I definitely usually want to hear something with mandolin on it. And you're one of the albums that I can put on that, that has tons of hot mandolin playing but also great songs that people can they can just listen and not realize they're like a gateway band exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly gateway mandolin playing for you (laughs) oh yeah yeah because yeah and that's the other thing too is you've got you you have great taste where and when people hear the album if they haven't heard it already um is you know you've got tons of great chops but it never gets in the way of the song you know oh thanks yeah man it's kind of like we want to like we want to play a song 
and and you know have it just be like the song right like it's not just about shredding and and playing everybody's butts off or whatever even though everybody kind of does anyway you know <laughs> but everybody has an opportunity to kind of shine with a solo or whatever but it's it's not even about that it's about the song that's kind of how i see it at least and uh man i spent uh a lot of time you know with friends and even myself just writing a lot of that material that's on the new record it's um so it's a it's definitely a labor of love <laughs> it was so good and um for for people who might not be familiar um could you mention the uh the embarrassment of riches of players that you have in your band because your band is just yourself included just stacked <laughs> oh thanks man i do feel lucky every chance i get to make uh make music with those guys mike munford on the banjo uh he's he and I've been playing music since 2003, and then 2008, I had the idea to uh, get out of the Navy band and start my own band. We went and did some showcases and started booking some shows, and then kind of, uh, you know, had some other players, you know, kind of leading up to Chris Luquette on guitar, and then uh, Jeremy is the newest player, and this is his eighth year in the band. So <laughs> that's wild, man. <clears throat> so it's, uh, you know, everybody's committed to the music and and loves playing together and I, I just feel really lucky only i mean we sometimes paint ourselves into the corner you know with like arrangements and you know <laughs> difficult passages and things like that where i feel like shoot i'm really the only person that, you know i have to worry about like remembering words and arrangements everybody else is uh <laughs> pretty, pretty damn solid you know so and, and live, you guys are so great, too, because you guys really stretch out. And again, never taking away from the song is just like taking a song. You're you're a great ex your band's a good example of why people should go to live shows, because you're going to get the song and you're also going to get a live version of the song that takes it to the next level. That wouldn't necessarily make sense to do it on a record. Yeah, we, we definitely, you know, that's funny. We were we were rehearsing last week for a, a performance for our album release uh, show and uh Munford said, well, what if we do this with the end? And then he starts making a few other suggestions. And Chris looks over at me and, and the rest of the guy, he goes, well, ah, I remember. I remember this is how it goes. This is how it be. This is the, like, you know, meaning like no song is going to stay the same as it was on the recording. You know what I mean? It's always going to change and we're going to manipulate them and, and figure out a different way to maybe even end them or whatever, you know, just it's always fun and exciting, you know? So like I say, I'm the only one I have to worry about remembering that stuff. <laughs> Now, what was how long has it been since your last album was out? It's been 2019, uh, late January 2019. We put out "If You Can't Stand the Heat." That's right. That's right. So now, did you were you sitting on? You know, obviously, COVID came through, and you were one of the one of the last shows I saw in Atlanta. You and Don, before yeah, Don's uh, turn. yeah, uh, and um, before uh, everything closed down. But um, how many songs did you have? Uh, an abundance of songs for this album or was it something that you started fresh with um the only song that uh i composed that um is from like previous times was uh, uh the instrumental on there called scorch in the grave i actually recorded that in early 2000s on a solo project oh, called dude. selfish tears <laughs> Yeah. 
and Munford actually, Mike Munford, our banjo player, he he played banjo on that recording, and uh, you know that that tune in particular was one that um, I played with Jeremy when he came into the Navy band. Uh, many of you listeners out there may not know, but I was in the United States Navy band, Country Current, and as about a few months before I got out, Jeremy came in as the bass player, and um, we played that tune together in the in that band, and then Chris Luquette, uh happened to learn that tune. And he wasn't in my band or anything, but we met up in Nashville. We just happened to be like hanging out at the, in the hallways of uh, a hotel that um, the International Bluegrass Music Association's trade show and convention, all that stuff was being held there. And we were all there <clears throat> and we we're like trying to figure out a tune to play. And the four of us, the, the band as you see it now, then we're talking about like, you know, gosh, 10 years ago now, maybe longer ago, um, everybody landed on that tune scorching the gravy so it's like the very first tune we all played together as a we weren't a band but as this configuration that was the very first tune we all played together oh wow that's so awesome I thought it was appropriate to uh you know record it because we play it out sometimes too and it's like yeah hey, let's record that thing you know and and we all sat around live and you hear it as we play it no you know, <laughs> no track no nothing just like live as can be in the studio yeah and it was just on mandolin mondays Oh right, yeah, I played. Uh, yeah, I played it a few times through on Mandolin Mondays um, this last uh, last Monday. Yeah, and then the song, obviously the the title track, "Hold On." I mean that that just seems like a uh, perfect song that was written, you know, during these last couple of years, which have been <laughs> pretty. Uh, I think it's a you know, it seems like a song people needed to hear. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold on to each other. Hold on to what we have. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold on. We've got to hold on to each other. Hold on to what we have. We can lean on each other. Oh, thanks. Yeah, man. It, it, it's a culmination of a few different things for sure. It can, uh, it was definitely leaning towards love, you know, and, and having, um, you know, appreciating what you have and making through uh, some hard times and so on and so forth. But also, you know, thinking about this, uh, the last couple of years of the pandemic and whatnot and how difficult it's been for many people and, uh, myself included, you know, and, um, you know, no shows, just, you know, the whole music industry was just like, in some ways floundering, you know, and um, so anyway, I, I do feel like it, it is one of those kinds of messages. We put out a video that was filmed at Dell Fest and man, I watching that video, you know, uh, after it was finished or whatever, I was like, man, that makes me want to go to a festival. It's like, that's the community, right? That's the, that's the idea. We got to hold on to this, you know, and not let any of this go because this is like magic. So yeah it's kind of you were just you know when we before we started recording this you were telling me about going to a festival and how you know fulfilled and like you know excited you were and just like you know how uh wonderful the music was and the community and seeing all that happen on stage it just you know fills you with joy you know that was the idea for sure with the video like remind everybody like hey and the song itself you know there's joy we got to hang on to it you know yeah yeah, it's perfect, man. We're going to make it through. We That's just got, right. We just got, 
alone. Hold on to what you have, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you do some co-writes. I was reading you had a there was a great interview at the uh, my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe, by the way. So if uh, anybody has not read that, I definitely suggest you go to that. And you talk a little bit about co-writes. And now when you do you, when you co-write, do you take a guitar with you? Do you take a mandolin with you? How do you uh, work on co-writing with other people? Uh, so it's different kind of like a little bit every time. Some, sometimes with a mandolin, sometimes with a guitar. Um, you know, most of those songs come from, you know, like I will say 2019 was probably the most difficult year of my life, you know, before the pandemic even hit. And like leading into the pandemic and so on, um, you know, just left me and afforded me time to be able to explore a lot of those little, you know, moments in time and being able to do that with a friend, say like John Weisberger, you know, like great songwriters. The album kicks off with the tune that he and I wrote called I'm Already Gone. If they had their way, I'd be living how they wanted me to live. If they had their way, they'd be taking more than what I have to give. I'd be three steps back if I went where they wanted me to go. Down the same old path, winding up with nothing more to show. I'm letting it go. I gotta move on. Well, I'm making my way. You know, it, it talks about a couple of moments in time, you know, and, and like self-awareness and that, you know, I need, just need to pull myself up by my bootstraps, you know, like <laughs> we need to like, kind of like keep on, you know, I got to let that go and keep on going forward kind of stuff, you know, and uh, just all that kind of stuff, you know, like that really trying to build your, yourself up and so on and so forth. And uh, with that song in particular, I had been messing around with like a, a chord structure and a melody and I had a couple of lines in mind, you know, that I'd written down or whatever, but I uh, said, Hey, let's set up a, and it was over zoom. Like all of those writing sessions, except for hold on, were done uh, over a, a zoom call or, or maybe it was FaceTime or whatever it might've been, but you know, video calls, you know, and uh, you know, there was a whole pandemic going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So everybody was staying home and all that. But uh, so I uh, kind of started with that and John and I kind of worked on it. And I would say less than, you know, maybe, maybe 45 minutes, we had a song ready to go. And and then, you know, or at least the bones of it and take it to the band. And I kind of start formulating some ideas for like intros and solo sections and, you know, some chordal things or whatever it might be, signature licks and arrangements. And that kind of starts, you know, that ball starts rolling. And then when the band gets together to actually rehearse it and try to, uh, you know, um, attack those kinds of things, it, it starts to evolve and, and become what you, you know, hear on the recording at that point. I, I love the, um, you know, when I say that, you, you know, you, I can listen to you in the vehicle and anybody can relate to it. One of the things that I think helps you really stand out is the fact of you're, um, you're not afraid of using the, the dreaded minor chords. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They're not just one, four, five progression songs. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're still bluegrassy and, 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 and all that, but you, you aren't afraid to have arrangements that might be, some people would, some people just write songs, like you said, to get to the solo, but these songs, I, I just love the chord progressions. And what, what songwriters do you listen to, you know, when you're looking for inspiration? Oh gosh, man. There's so many. I, I don't know. I, 
I was talking to somebody the other day about this actually. And, um, you know, I think my influences, everybody in the band for that matter, but as far as like songwriting, gosh, it's hard to say. I kind of, I kind of just fall back on listening to, uh, a lot of my, my family. One, I have some incredible musicians in my family. Um, but also leaning on my, my, uh, musical kind of like upbringing, of course, going to bluegrass festivals and music festivals and and hearing all the greats, you know. I mean, uh, my family would go to concerts and go listen to Ray Charles or, you know, Stevie Wonder, or Tower of Power or whatever, you know. Like, just that kind of, like, upbringing, having a, a huge array of different kinds of music, I think, has helped me in, uh, you know, not sounding like, maybe not like, necessarily sounding like anybody else but just maybe sounding like myself maybe you know because um, you take all of those influences and and what comes out you know i don't try to sound like anybody i i, I will say on the record i do nod to a couple of people like on uh sail to australia for instance the song sail to australia is a new grass revival song and john cowan came in and sang harmony with me on it which was really cool but on my mandolin playing you'll hear on there I, i'm doing some nods to sam bush's uh you know like rhythmic kind of playing and then like on the solo section when i take a solo there's some he, he's really known for doing like these awesome octave licks you know and, make love right there on the sand I did a couple of those kinds of things, but, you know, I would say those are more nods to people that I really appreciate their playing, you know, so I, um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question about, you know, songwriting in particular, but uh, a lot of times just like going down the road, you know, I'll, I'll, I love words, you know, and how they work together. And I, I, f I figure like, oh, I'm going to pull up my notes, you know, on my phone <laughs> or, or pull up, you know, the voice recorder or something and get that down if I'm like driving or whatever. And even at home, I, I don't want to let that moment pass. So I, I take that voice recorder or my notes and just kind of like explore it for a moment and record it maybe with a mandolin or guitar, whether it be a melody or a line or an idea or whatever. So my phone is full of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think you answered it best, though. I think it's that's what I really love. That's why I kind of love last, like asking that question, because it, it, I love the the different ingredients so to speak that make somebody themselves i mean your songs sound like frank sullivan songs you know or saying and that they don't sound like x what generic band or whatever and there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff out there that you know i think people can admit sound you wouldn't know who it necessarily is it sounds similar to other things and you you don't you don't suffer from that <laughs> and so that's where that question kind of comes from for me is like just wanting to know where your influences are because you don't you sound like you have a lot of different influences besides just you know mandolin based music oh totally and um you know i was i play with the gibson brothers now and again and uh those guys were telling me they're like you know you're not like you play like you you know you don't know what to ex the listener doesn't know uh, you know, they're going to get surprised and not know what to expect. You're kind of like a rock and roll mandolin player. And I was like, oh, interesting, rock and roll mandolin player. Okay. 
I'll go with that. I'll take that as a compliment. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me a few weeks ago that they're like, you're, you're like the Eddie Van Halen of mandolin. I'm like, well, I, I think that's, I'm, I mean, they're mean it as a compliment, <laughs> I think. But I was just like, yeah. I don't know how, how that's going to go over. <laughs> but, you know, I appreciated it. And I get I get what they were saying. But, yeah, it's like um, I have different influences. You know, I didn't grow up. Yeah. I didn't grow up listening to to bluegrass, you know, and um but I love it, and I'm glad that I found it when I found it. But, you know, I was listening to all sorts of rock and roll stuff or, you know, even like James Taylor and Zeppelin and Hank yeah. Sr. eventually goes into the stew. But that rock and roll stuff stuck with me. <laughs> right on. Well, our, our bass player, Jeremy, he's, he, you know, he's an electric bass player primarily. He was playing upright with the band, like half and half, upright and electric. And then uh, just just naturally just like ended and you know especially with like travel and so on and so forth just playing the electric and it sounds so good like uh there's a couple of songs on the record like um lost for instance it's a real nod to the mid-atlantic bluegrass of like buzz busby it's a buzz busby tune anyway lost, lost, lost. lost in this world without you You can hear on the courses, you're like, wait a minute, is that an electric bass or is that, is that an upright? I can't quite tell. He's playing it in such a way where he's like pulling that, you know, like real kind of upright kind of tone. It's interesting, you know, but he comes from such a wide array, array of different styles too, you know, and so does Mike Munford and so does uh, Chris, our guitar player. And it's like, you know, you put all that together and start arranging tunes and whatnot. It's like, you're going to come up with something that's different than just, you know, your standard uh, bluegrass fair, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, it, you guys, when you bring the songs into the studio, obviously, you know, you do co-writes like, like you mentioned earlier, but when you go into the studio, is that a time then where everybody also kind of has a say of like, you know, what if we did this here? Or is it kind of already set like, okay, this is kind of the version we can do it live instead. Well, it's, 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 when we have like we go for an arrangement just like speaking of that kind of or speaking to that kind of stuff like an arrangement or whatever and we 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 can't quite get a a section or something kind of down or whatever well let's try it a different way my thing is like well let's try it this way first and let's get it right and then if if we don't like it then let's change it kind of thing you know is my my thing is you got to hear it to hate it you know so you got to hear it done you know properly before you can hate it you know what i mean yeah, absolutely don't let don't let the frustration uh, make a part not happen <laughs> right right and everybody has say in the studio i would say you know as as the producer and like the person that's putting um you know the the funds forth to be able to you know make the album and all that stuff i i feel like everybody has a, a say but if if there's something that truly sticks out where i don't want to do it or i don't think it's right or whatever I'll I'll be the bad guy for a moment, you know, and be like, eh, I don't think we should do that, you know. Let's try it this way instead. And and typically, I don't really have to do that um, because everybody has such awesome ideas, you know. There's only been a couple of times where I've like kind of had to be like, nah, 
we're going to do it this way. You know what I mean? Well, you need that. You need that in a band. Somebody's got to be that person at some point, even if it's just yeah. now and then, because otherwise it's just, it's four people <laughs> with four different ideas. Somebody's got to be the, right. the no guy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The band leader, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your name's on the bus, buddy. (laughs) Right. Or on the marquee. On the marquee, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's a great album. You know, it's, uh, I I love it. I'm a fan of all your stuff, man. And it definitely did not disappoint. And um, I I hope it's doing really well and and continues to do so because it's so good. Are you going to be doing um, a lot of live shows? I know you have some tour dates on the schedule. Yeah, we we got a bunch of tour dates. You can find all that stuff at, uh, you know the website if if you can remember dirty kitchen you just put in dirtykitchenband.com or my name frank sullivan.com that's s-o-l-i-v-a-n and uh, all the dates will pop up and news and new videos and stuff like that also on the social media you know you can find us all over the social medias uh instagram and facebook and so on myspace you know yeah myspace it's coming back i'm sure of it <laughs> I'm bedazzling my MySpace page right now, just like yeah, right. (laughs) I'm ready for the return. (laughs) That's funny. The uh, the other thing that I I think about you when I think of you, besides being a great musician, is you're like a run. You are the king of like a lot of. There's that saying, um, uh, "Jack of all trades, master of none." But you seem to be a jack of all trades, master of most. (laughs) Oh gosh! Wow, thanks, man. Dude, every time about your Instagram, you're making stuff on that Traeger grill. It looks incredible. Oh, I love the yeah. Man, I love the book, for sure, hence the name of the band. And then also, um, let's start with the straps, because that was the first thing that I really noticed before the next thing I'll ask you about. But let's talk a little bit about the, the straps and belts you've been making, because those are incredible, man. Yeah, you know, I, I, I typically make more around, you know, like uh, the weeks leading up to the holidays, because people want, you know, to their gifts. They're not terribly uh, cheap, but they, you know, they take a lot of time and... Um, you know, it's a lot of precision uh, kind of carving and, and, stand and so on and so forth of like high-end leather um, belts and straps for mandolins, guitars, banjos, and kind of working on a dobro uh, idea for a dobro strap as well. But um, yeah, beautiful. You can That stuff is at soulworks.com or thesoulworks.com rather. And S-O-L-T-H-E-S-O-L. W-O-R-K-S, the soulworks.com. You can find all that stuff on there and, and pictures of, uh, you know, things that I make and whatnot. How'd you get, how'd you get into that? Oh, well, you know, I've always kind of like fooled around with leather and I've had some, you know, like making little bushcraft bags and, you know, kind of fooled around with some stamping and, and tooling and such over the years. And, uh, after my mom died in 2014, my dad said he found her old, um, in his storage unit somewhere he found her old like leather tooling stuff like her tools and such she used to do that when she was young and i'd never seen any of that stuff that she did that you know she had made with her older brother they used to sell like you know handmade bags and belts and things at like farmers markets and whatnot when they were growing up uh for some extra dough but uh i never saw any of that stuff so he says i'll bring it to you so when he came to visit he brought me all over like you know leatherworking tools and i was just inspired further to you know kind of hone that and a couple of the first uh straps that i made for people i made belts for friends and things like that but the first like real like guitar straps i made for people were for um billy strings and trey hensley and so they both have a couple of uh my early straps and uh made a matching belt for billy as well and then uh 
Trey, he, he since got another strap and he ordered a belt for his dad and like, you know, so, uh, a bunch of folks have, have ordered Rob Ike's, his wife ordered a belt for him. Like people you've probably heard of like that, you know, and a bunch of, bunch of pickers with ordered straps, mandolin straps. I really like They're um, you know, there's no hardware on them. So, and they're, they're a little bit wider than just like your string strap, which is great because, you know, I like for me personally, I like a strap that doesn't, uh, that has a little friction so it, it doesn't slide over my shoulder too much, you know? Uh, and it's funny, I made one for uh, uh, Ronnie McCurry. His wife uh, asked me to make one for him, and I did. And he's just the opposite. He likes the smooth side next to his shoulder, so it can do that. And I was like, oh, no. So I have to, re- I have to remake him a strap that uh, is just the opposite. So. Oh, wow. That's cool, though, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, they look great. I mean, I remember when you were posting them on Instagram, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? What is this amazing stuff? <laughs> you know, like, what is the sorcery? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how's he find time? I really have to set aside time to do that stuff. I actually have a, a strap I'm supposed to be making today, but um, I'm, I'm putting it off until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you have a show today, too, don't you, tonight? Uh, yeah, I have a duo show with Jillian Lee. We're playing uh, Old Trade Brewing Company tonight. Um, we we play some kind of regional local gigs around here as a duo. It's really fun, you know, playing with uh, the person you love, actually making music and singing and, and picking and whatnot. It's always really cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. And then the next thing, and this, this is the strangest story of all, I, I think, of all mandolin interactions that I've had with anybody <laughs> is when... I was coming back from Virginia Beach with my wife and we stop at a rest area <laughs> and I yeah. see this guy walking out and he's got the Bluegrass Pride shirt on and a hat on. I'm like, oh, Bluegrass Pride, you don't see many of those? I'm like, holy crap, it's Frank Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, Daniel Patrick, what's happening? I, I was so out of context. I was like, why is this guy really familiar? Oh, duh. Yeah, wow. same area. I saw you walking up like, oh, you don't, that's Oh, and then it hit me and but then it was so fortuitous because um you gave me a couple of these tone slabs dude and yeah. this is incredible i'd love to talk a bit about this it's uh well let i guess let have you start talking about what is tone slabs well tone slabs is a company i started with my friend david welch and uh for the last couple of years we've been going back and forth trying uh well a year and a half i guess we've been trying all kinds of different materials to make picks out of that would like emulate uh or you know come close to or maybe even exceed the tonal and playability qualities of you know whatever the the benchmark for everybody is like you know tortoise shell but that's an endangered species and nothing you know can come of that as far as like selling those things or whatever but uh it's not even legal to do so so and you know we have some old stock or whatever that we've you know had and been fooling around with that but like trying to figure out a sustainable material that can like match or exceed that kind of sound, we finally did. And um, so we have a company that um, is making the material for us. And uh, I gave you, uh, I think I gave you a black one, right? You did give me a black one. Yeah, two of the blue ones and one of the black ones, yeah. Okay, so the black one is like, I like that material a lot. It's a little softer than the other materials that uh, we use as standard. it was an experimental prototype I think I gave you. But anyway, um, long story short is they are um, 
made by a company that uh, also works in like uh, bulletproof glass and and like all kinds of um, materials that have to do with uh, you know um, there's different types of acrylic and different types of monomers and you know things like that and so uh, finally landed on something that you know the ingredients involved with the hardeners and so on and so forth it makes for the best grip like it, it it's it's tacky enough to where it doesn't slip out of your fingers, even though it's really highly polished. And with with the hardness of the material and our techniques and getting the bevel just right, it, it makes for like the, I think the best sounding pick on the market. And um, I handed one to a guy last night uh, who was over here playing music with us. Um, and he was using one of those Proplex picks. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm, totally. Um, and I've used those in the past and, and I dropped it on the, on the wood table in front of me. It's like, listen, now listen to this one, which was the, the second one was the tone slabs. And the first one, the, the pro plug, it just sounded like floppity flop, you know, really dull thing. And I dropped the tone slabs on there and it was like, you know, it just had a brighter sound and you could tell it was a much more rigid and hard and dense material, even though it's lighter in weight. Um, Anyway, long story short is he started playing with it and he goes, oh my God, it it would have been great to capture it on a video because his response was incredible. And he was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. It's like, I have a whole nother new guitar, you know, and (laughs) he's like, this thing, like this pick is amazing. That kind of line has been stuck in my head since then. I love um, it, man. I um, yeah. I am I'm holding one right now. I always have a bunch of picks on my desk here, so when I'm doing this podcast, I'm always like fiddling with them and flipping around. And, and I never even really, I guess it just, I never even noticed how tacky. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like it's so smooth, like I'm rubbing it through my fingers. But yeah, when I open my hand up, it's sticking to my index finger. Like, yeah, it's it's amazing, man. Yeah, that's wild. And you wouldn't think of it unless it's mentioned, probably, you know, like, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, because there's some picks, you know, like you see people like lick their fingers to get their fingers sticky enough to to hang on to a certain certain brand of pick or whatever. And that does not seem like it would be necessary with this guy here. Exactly. <laughs> and some banjo players that I've played with in the past, they would take like, you know, I play fiddle as well. And they would rub their thumb on the rosin area where, you know, that kind of builds up underneath uh, between the bridge and the uh, fingerboard and they'll put their thumb in there to get that stickiness on their pick. And so it doesn't slip off. Some people do that as well with like, uh, flat picks as well. And exactly. You don't have to do that with tone slabs. No, you do not, man. You know, what's another one. I, I, I can't believe, I wish I could remember where I saw this. It must've been a video or maybe somebody showed it to me at a gig or something like that. But for your left hand, you know, like sometimes you're playing and it's just dry. you like dry out. It yeah. doesn't matter what you're stringing out. But you know, the, the guy was like, Oh yeah, you just, you just rub your finger like where your nose and under your eye and your nose are. And there's a little bit of oil there and you do that. Yeah. And I'm like, Holy, I, I can't believe I've, I played music this long in my life and never heard that tip until like six weeks ago. <laughs> it's a game changer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've heard that too. I'm seeing people, I've tried it and honestly it starts to build up on your strings if you do it a lot. No, I know? bet. I bet. Yeah. I just, uh, I was just one in particular gig while I was playing and it was just like, it was just so dry out and just, I couldn't get any, sliding going on it felt like and then i did that i'm like oh look at that but yeah i I do my strings i mean i have to change them so often just a i play in the most humid area you know in charleston but i also have like the most 
horrible sweat. Like it is like all bad superpower. I ruin strings. <laughs> uh, you want to? You have that pH in your in your sweat that kills strings, do you? Yeah, I do. And actually, I um I took a mandolin to uh, Lynn Dudenbossel one time too because I thought maybe there were um. Uh, divots in the frets, even though it didn't seem like it was fretting out. But I'm like, ah, well, I was having him look at him like, well, maybe these need to be like re-leveled. And he's like, no, they don't. He's like, here's one of those people. He's like, there's not very many people, but sometimes he's like, if you look, it's like where that, where it looks like there's dimples from the string, it's actually like alongside them. And it's just from your sweat. And he's like, it's not eating away at the string. It's just kind of like staining it in a weird sort of way, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was bizarre. I'm like, all right, well, save me some money. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of money, Tone Slabs are, uh, you know, they're, they're boutique picks, and we've done a lot of R&D for over a year, and um, we have some incredible endorsing artists we're going to announce at some point soon, and they, they, uh, they are worth it, though. Uh, I've, I've read on some forums people are worried about the price being, you know, like, high or whatever. I think, you know, our, our friend Matt Goins, who is uh, uh, the curator and owner of Blue Chip has kind of opened the door for the boutique pick business. And I thank you so much, Matt, for being able to, you know, open those doors for us. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for for all of us out there because I, I personally want to use, you know, for different things, get a different sound here and there. But what I've been able to do with the tone slabs is get, you know, get a different bevel or maybe a different profile on the corner of the pick or whatever to get those different sounds. The material is just incredible. So, you know, and a lot of people still want to be able to maybe just get one and check it out. And that's fine too. We, we have a really great, um, you know, customer service situation and, uh, we're get, getting them into some stores now, some, uh, retailers and, uh, really fun, man. It's really exciting to, to see that, um, you know, it's kind of like the guy was telling you about last night, just everybody's face change when, when they, when they use one for the first time, it's really cool. And I love, I love that. Um, the argument about expensive picks on a, you know, in a world where, people spend $20,000 plus on an instrument. <laughs> without, and $5 on a pick. Right, right. And I, and I feel like people sometimes are worried about maybe losing it too. You know, that's uh, one of the concerns with people. And, you know, on our uh, on our website, we, we at toneslabs.com, we also, also offer a, uh, like a, like a, a, a pick tin, but it's velvet lined. So it kind of protects the pick from rattling around on, on metal inside. And, it's small enough where you can stick it in your case or whatever, you know, and uh, put all your picks in there. It's really cool. And uh, we also offer like a little, um, like a pick care pack with that and a really super fine buffer. If you wanted to ever like buff the pick to a shine again or whatever, if it gets a little, you know, over a long, you know, any pick does that. I, I do that too. And I have like a buffing wheel that, you know, when I'm making picks or whatever, I, I shine them all up on, but even the ones that I use, I'll, I'll go down there and buff them out, you know? <laughs> I mean, even the, uh, well, we talked about Matt Goins and like, even though, even those blue chips where they seem indestructible, I mean, they wear, Oh, totally. Just takes a little while, a little bit longer than, say, like a Dunlop pick. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, all that stuff wears out when you use something. A, I can't get through a song without, uh, you know, whatever the pick noise is of the scratchy pick noise with Dunlops. Most any plastic pick, you know, like it it's really starts to get rough on the edge. And, and that itself is, is the, you know, why you spend more money on on a you know boutique pick like tone slabs you know or blue that matter because you know they 
they get a little rough too at times. You know, I've, I've, I've used blue chip as well for a long time and love Matt Goins. And, you know, I wanted to, I do notice that uh, our picks are, are a little bit um, more natural sounding. I think if, if you do the side by side with the same thickness and whatnot, um, you'll hear that the, the blue chip is, is darker in sound. It kind of makes for a darker sound. And, and maybe that's what people like, and that's fine too. Uh, but some people may just want to have, uh, you know, a more clean, like more natural sound of what their instrument um, is sounding like without the pick marring that at all, you know, the marring the tone or, or changing the tone. Um, anyway, it's, it's all personal preference. I have, you know, I'm looking at a, a little container I have here on my uh, – little coffee table and it has it's full of picks all kinds of different picks you know i <laughs> uh, same here i buy them all man and i guess i think that's part of the thing where i think it's interesting again like if you don't want to spend x amount of dollars on a pick i completely understand it but to me man i love trying like new strings new picks and whatever i mean it's just it's exciting what you're doing and and who wouldn't want to uh take the chance on maybe in making a little bit better tone than they thought they had previous yeah Speaking of this this candy dish that I have a bunch of picks in, uh, honestly, I it, there's probably a hundred dollars worth of picks in there, and I don't use any of them really. For when people come over and they need to pick, hey, here you go, you know, because I'm not going to hand off, you know, an expensive pick to somebody. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't don't let that don't let that go home in your pocket, please. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, these days I do now. You know, I'm like here. These tone slabs, because you know it's my business now, and, and uh, I do want people to hear the difference, you know, of like this pick versus that pick, and them going, "Wow!" The wow factor is is what you know sells the picks, really. So getting them into people's hands is really important. Um, uh, Trey Hensley, Billy Strings, Sierra Hole, um, you know, John Stickley, uh, CJ from the Po Ramblin' Boys. Um, uh, Chris Luquette. I mean, those are just a few that are, are using tone slabs right now. So, Are you guys going to be at IBMA this year? Yes, sir. My band will be doing some uh, showcases. We'll have that. Uh, it is on our website where we're going to be playing there. And uh, we'll also be at uh, the trade show on that Thursday um, at around 2.15. We're doing a, a workshop, or not a workshop, but a performance at uh, the Acoustic Shop. Uh, the Chapman Brothers from... Uh, Springfield, Missouri will have their booth there and I like a stage and they do a television kind of thing and uh, they're going to have a big display of Tone Slabs picks there and they'll be available there if you want to send anybody over to try them. They'll have some of try. I will be there. I will have a booth with the Picky Fingers guy again and uh, hopefully right. it'll be a little bit bigger of attendance than last year. Obviously last year was was probably 50% of, of, of what it usually is but um, it was still a blast man and looking forward to getting back there again this year so yeah, man. Yeah, actually, I saw you guys play. You did one of the street the street shows, um, yeah. And you guys crushed it as always. It was amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it'll be fun. We we are doing. Uh, we'll play Friday evening um, of that uh, week out at the uh, end of the street. Um, kind of like think the main stage between the the Marriott and the Duke Energy Center. They have that uh, parking lot that they transform into a like a big street concert venue kind of thing so yeah that'll be awesome yeah what uh what what let's go back to talk about the album here real quick what mandolin did you uh did you play different mandolins on it did you just use one mandolin what was your uh studio setup like for this album well on 10 of the 11 tracks uh well i take that back because one of the tracks i play guitar only on but um 
all but one song I played a mandolin that I had built, actually. Uh, so one of the tunes, Modesto, uh, I played a mandolin, a 2019 Michael Lewis distressed model mandolin. It's actually a picture of it in uh, the uh, latest fretboard journal. There's a little story about Michael Lewis in there. Oh, cool. Um, anyhow, that, that mandolin, I played his mandolin on, on one song on M Modesto, and then the rest of them I played my, I call it the unit. It's my mandolin of you know, most of my performances and recordings over the last handful of years. So, yeah. And that was one that did you build that with Roger Simonoff or at one of Robert Roger Simonoff's camps? I did. He invited me down and uh, took me under his wing and uh, basically put the body and the neck and all of that together uh, in his workshop. Um, showed me how to do all that stuff. Basically, you know, had a mandolin in the white, except for binding and, you know, fingerboard and all the setup and tuners and such. It was just the the construction of the instrument itself was in, you know, like 70%. The rest of it I had to finish at home and did all that over the next year or so between, you know, gigging and, and be busy life and so on and so forth. And that was in 2012. I finished it and started playing it a lot. And it's kind of my go-to for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I got to got to play it that first time we met, and it sounded amazing. <laughs> it played great, sounded great, you know, and then put it in your hands. It's like next level. <laughs> oh, well, you're welcome to play it anytime we see each other, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Any other any other mandolins in the arsenal besides uh, besides those two that you that you have around? I know love people love gear talk. Yeah, for sure. I so one of the other mandolins uh, I've been playing since 2001 and recording with uh, is also a mandolin built by Michael Lewis in Grass Valley, California, and it's a rosewood sides and back, Engelman top, and bound F holes, and it has like silver wire around all the inlays. It's kind of a high end unit, you know. And uh, so I've been playing that for a long time, and I have some other mandolins, um, you know. Uh, I just got an Eastman uh, gold top mandolin. Oh, uh, get out of here, really? At Dell Fest uh, this, this year, yeah. Uh, my friend Tim Finch uh, said, hey, it's the last one they're going to make. And I was like, wow, okay, I think I have to have that. <laughs> I Gibson gold top, which those Eastmans are fashioned after uh, for a long time. Uh, I think there's only like seven of those made. A guy up in New York has it now. Um, but I was like, okay, well, that'll be a good instrument to have. And I couldn't beat the price. And, um, and then I have, uh, an Eastman, I have an electric mandolin, a couple of electric mandolins and, uh, you know, but I would say that the two Lewis mandolins and, and the one that I built are my, my three that I go to, they're all F fives. And I also have a Simonoff mandola that I play at every show. Uh, it's an, a copy of an H five. Oh, wow. Did you build that one too? I did not know okay. uh, Roger and his shop partner, Ken Roderick, uh, built that instrument. I was there at that Luthery camp and I played it for the first time. I was like, wow, I've played some like, you know, Lloyd Lore H5s. You know, I think there's like only 20 or 21 of those things and they all sound great. And this is like a copy of that, um, you know, from that early 20s time frame, the, the Mandola that I have. And I've played it up against a couple of those and I will say it holds its own. It is a beast of a mandola. Oh, wow. It has a lot of, like, the mandolin characteristics, really kind of, like, woody and poppy, and, you know, the, the attack is really, you know, really nice, and it pops the notes right out, really bell-like tone on the high end, and, yeah. 
Yeah, when you um when you record, where'd you record this this new album at? Uh, well, it was in Springfield, Virginia, just south of DC, uh, in Virginia. Um, Bias Recording Studio. You've you've probably heard many records recorded at at Bias. Um, anything from like the Johnson Mountain Boys and Tony Rice and you know, um, seldom seen. Yeah, some 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 big some big releases. <laughs> yeah, in the bluegrass in this world. world. Yeah, in this world. <laughs> Mary Chapin Carpenter, like you name it. Like, there's all kinds of records that are made there. So it's a really great spot. And so we went in there and tracked everything in about four days and got got all the got all the tracks down. What um what type of mic setup do you use when you record? Mics? Oh gosh, anything that sounds good in the room. I, I typically these days have been. Uh, I learned how to do some a little close miking technique from my friend Brent Truitt, who plays mandolin and the steel drivers. Yeah. So I've recorded a number of records at his studio in Nashville, and I was like, oh, wow, cool. I, it, it, getting a couple of like uh, small, you know, Neumann mics, you know, 84s or whatever, and then kind of using them at an angle kind of real close to the treble side f hole on the on the where the larger hole is on the f hole kind of back the, the back point um i found on my mandolin at least that works really well and and you don't hear as much pick noise so it, if you can close mic it and get that you know get it you know without without hearing like the the actual wind coming out of the instrument because you know that's what happens you know it blows blows air out of those f holes those apertures so if you can avoid that and still avoid the pick noise, uh, you're doing good. When you're recording your um, – because you, you have a pretty uh, strong strumming technique, I, especially I know on that. I mean you, you, you've got – you have a lot of volume when you play, you know. Do you, rec- do you play live differently than you play when you record or no? Oh, gosh. Sometimes. I mean, you know, the, the, the thought of like having a big audience in front of you is exciting and definitely – I definitely kind of feed off of that, but I do have a heavy right hand in the studio, outside the studio, but I definitely, I feel like I kind of rein that in a little bit when I'm recording perhaps, but I I still, I mean, you can hear, I still, I'm not a soft player. You Um, you hear all your notes. They sound great. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, Well, sometimes you hear notes that you don't want to (laughs) hear. Right. And you'll hear that on the recording too. There's a couple of little clams here and there, but it's, you know, whatever. I think it's still, you know, it's live, you know, we're humans and it happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now you had to have, um, you had some, uh, carpal tunnel surgery too. Did you, um, did you have to change any of your playing style after that, or did it all kind of come back to where it was? And I only asked that because I've actually gotten a few emails in the last six or seven months. Um, about people, um, I don't know why they asked me, but I guess uh, maybe I've talked about having some hand issues before. But um, I was like, oh, you know who's had some issues like that is Frank Sullivan. So I meant, made a mental yeah. note to ask you about that next time we talked, and that is today. Yeah, <laughs> well, I say like it, it's nerve wracking to either have pain or complete numbness of your left hand, and you got a bunch of people standing in front of you, and you're on a stage singing or playing or whatever, and it's like, uh oh. I need to do something about this. I honestly wish I'd have done it like 10 years earlier, but um, I went and saw a specialist at the Curtis, the national uh, 
Curtis National Hand Center in Baltimore. They have a musician's clinic for hands and upper body extremities. And um, uh, Dr. Whitstead was the, the doctor. He's kind of set the benchmark on a surgery that uh, kind of you don't have as much um, healing time, basically. It's, uh, it's going to hurt for a little while, maybe. I mean, it, it was tight and kind of a little bit painful, but I, when I got home after the surgery, I actually grabbed my mandolin and I made a little video. It's on my YouTube page. There's like a little video log of, of my experience before and after coming home from the surgery or whatever. And a couple, uh, you know, like an unbandaging and such. So I wanted people to be able to see what it was like. Cause I didn't have anything like that as a professional musician to see somebody's progress in that, you know, or even like go, wow, okay, maybe it's not that bad. And there were no stitches. They, they did it without like cutting a big, huge, you know, cutting my hand open and keeping, basically kept the scar tissue down to a very, very minimum. Oh, good. I would say 10, 10, I think it was 10 day 10. I, uh, uh, Sam Bush asked me to sit in on their encores at the, um, at the Birchmere here in, uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And I, I was like, man, I, I, I'm a little nervous cause I just had, you know, hand surgery 10 days ago. And he's like, Oh, you'll be fine, man. You know, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. I was like, no, I'll do it. And I said, I don't know if I can play anything fast. And he goes, okay, well, don't worry about that. And, and on Facebook there, there lives a video of us, you know, trading lakes at the Birch mirror from that show. And it was literally, like I say, 10 days after surgery, I was, I didn't even feel a thing. It was fine. You know? And in fact, to answer your question more directly, I was already adjusting how I was playing to avoid any, uh, trying to avoid uh, undue stress or whatever, and just how I grip the instrument and, and whatnot to not have my hand go numb or have any pain and lowered my action. And that's hard to do with a heavy right hand, you know? So, uh, so I was really trying to do all the things I could to, to adjust my my playing so i wouldn't have that but then afterward i'd already been doing that right so i think that's you know i think it it's definitely helped i don't feel any pain anymore i don't have any numbness whatsoever in my left hand anymore oh it's great yeah all right good good like yeah. i said i wish i'd done it much earlier <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, hindsight. Do you do, um, normally we've, we've already done an episode, so I'd ask like a 10 minute a day question, but do you have like a, since we're talking about this, do you have like a warm up or a, a, like something that you would consider warming up like pre gigs that you do that you find helps loosen you up? You know, I, I have a tendency to just start playing a little bit, do some scales. And, um, when I'm about to play a gig, I, I do a little bit of that, you know, with the playing, maybe sit with the dudes or a couple of the guys, or maybe even Chris or Mike and play just the tune and kind of warm up my fingers. But also I'm trying to remember the words to songs and making sure <laughs> like, you know, warmed up my voice and so on. So I'm playing, you know, rhythm to myself and, and, you know, trying to figure that out. And yeah, I think it's just, just getting in the right headspace before I play a lot of times, you know, and kind of listening to what my fingers tell me what they want to do when I'm starting, you know, whether it be play a tune, play something medium fast, but yeah, you got to play slow today. You're feeling a little stiff from all those pushups you did yesterday or whatever. <laughs> right, right. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great, man. And how about any, it's been a couple of years, any, any good beers crossed your path in the, uh, wow. in, in the past? I know you're playing like a, a brewery tonight. Man, uh, I was up. You were you were talking about Vermont earlier, and um, there's a 
I went up there and I got hip to Hetty Topper. Are you hip to that? Yeah, but you know what? I um, it was uh, there was a Fiddlehead was the sponsor, so that was all Fiddlehead beer, which was delicious, by the way. Um, oh, good. And um, but uh, I wanted to get a Hetty Topper, but then I had so much fun at the festival. Like by the time we left, every time the grocery store was already closed. So I've heard oh. of it. I have not had it, but the Fiddlehead IPA was incredible. But the Hetty Topper I've heard is also incredible. Yeah, that's stuck out in my mind as a really good beer. I will say, I, I anything that's kind of like fairly hoppy without being too sweet is is you know, and and not having like a, a lasting bitter aftertaste. I am all over it. You know, I like to try though. I'll try stouts and porters, and you know, I'm I'm down for anything that is just going to be delicious. I'm kind of that way with food too. You know, like if it's good. I'm, I'm going to have it. I, I don't think I want to overdo too much in beer though. I, I can have like one or two and then I start getting full, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. That's, that's only one of the two problems I have when I have too many beers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think uh, that having uh, too many beers is always a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Dude, it's always a pleasure talking with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you at IBMA. Um, yeah, man. Likewise. It's going to be going to be a really good time. And um, yeah, I, congratulations on the new album, the new company. Um, people, they'll I'll have your all your links listed so people can go and order their family member a strap. There you go for, for the holiday themselves. season. And uh, yeah. yeah, and then and 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 then the picks too. And yeah, I'm, uh, Digum, thank you for uh, letting me check them out. I've also heard from a few people who've uh, who've gotten their hands on them and uh, that that are really enjoying them as well. So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and thank you so much for letting me blab about the stuff that I do. And Anytime, really, man. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Oh, I will see you soon. IBMA. There we go. Raleigh here. IBMA. Can't wait, man. Thank you so much, Frank. All right, Daniel. Thank you, buddy. All right. Thanks so much to Frank for doing the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Truly, truly appreciate it. I hope to see some of you at IBMA. Let's go see some shows together. There's tons of them. I'll be there Tuesday morning slash afternoon. Uh, you can hit me up in my Instagram DMs. And yeah, let's go see some music. Maybe drink a beer or two. Can't wait. Have a great week. Cheers, everybody.